Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Michelle, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program. And today's program is a collaborative effort between the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, or BCAN, and Cancer Care. And the program is titled Update on the Treatment of Bladder Cancer, and it's part one of Living with Bladder Cancer. There'll be a part two, which is specifically for caregivers. Um, and today's program is supported by uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Estellas U.S., LLC, and CGAN and an independent educational grant from Merck and Company, Inc. And I want to thank them for their support of the program today. And we have many organizations, many uh, cancer organizations that are supporting this program today. They collaborate on this program. However, our partner group today is the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network because they are actually the unique organization, nonprofit organization, that um, is a go-to place for many of you on the call for just general information. Um, in addition to your, of course, your healthcare team. And on the call today, we have over 252 participants who come from all over the United States, and we have international participants from Canada, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Taiwan, and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well. Before we um, introduce our first speaker, we're going to just ask you just a few questions, just to get a sense of what you know before the call begins, so what you know coming into the call. So on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand the important role of staging and grading of bladder cancer in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the current standard of care targeted treatments, and the emerging role of immunotherapy for bladder cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. The next question is, I understand the importance of diagnostic technologies, genomics, precision medicine, and predicting response to treatment in informing bladder cancer treatment. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand tips to manage the side effects, symptoms, pain, and quality of life concerns in the treatment of bladder cancer in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And this is the last question now coming up. I understand the significance of clinical trials as a treatment option. Um, again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for participating in this. It really gives us a good sense of what you know and understand about bladder cancer coming in, treatment of bladder cancer coming into the program, um, and it helps to inform our future uh, future programs as well. And so now um, I'm going to introduce our first speaker. 
And our first speaker is Dr. Robert Spadek, and Dr. Spadek is Professor, Acting Chair, Department of Urology, Mays Cancer Center at UT Health San Antonio, MD Anderson. And Dr. Spadek will be addressing an overview of bladder cancer, including staging and grading in the context of COVID-19, new treatment approaches, update on clinical trials, how research increases your treatment options, and the role of diagnostic technologies, genomics, and precision medicine. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Static. Uh, thank you uh, for that introduction. So I've got a lot to cover in uh, 13 minutes of time, but um, I'm going to do my best. So to start with an overview, it's great to hear that we have um, people from all over. Um, bladder cancer uh, is not a disease that is limited to the developed world. Uh, in, there's increased, certainly in those, uh, there is a uh, higher rate in North America and Western Europe compared to Asia and Latin America. But this is a global problem. Um, there are some areas in the world that are particularly uh, affected by bladder cancer due to geographical considerations, and uh, North Africa is one of those. Uh, there is a, an organism called schistosomiasis that has created a real an endemic, basically, in bladder cancer in Egypt and the northern Sudan. Um, but uh, the other <clears throat> um, kind of, let's say, uh, association uh, of, uh, with for bladder cancer is age, and um, the incidence of bladder cancer increases uh, exponentially with age. So it's very rare to have bladder cancer at like age 30 or younger, whereas the median age of diagnosis is in the 70s. Um, there's also a gender predilection for bladder cancer. Uh, men are have a higher risk of developing bladder cancer compared to women. And historically, that difference was assumed to be related to differences in exposure to tobacco use. Um, but more recent data suggest that that's not the only uh, contributor. Um, so even in populations without tobacco use, men are more affected than women. We're not really sure why that is. There are other lifestyle um, things. Tobacco is one of the most important contributors to uh, bladder cancer, but exposure to Certain uh, industrial dyes has historically been something linked to bladder cancer. Well, what about alcohol, artificial sweeteners, diet, fluid intake? Those other things that I mentioned do not have solid evidence of support that would say that they're, they're associated with bladder cancer. It's not to say that we don't that for sure they're not, but there's just less good data that that those contribute. So that's a little bit on demographics. Now, let's talk about staging. One of the most important distinctions in bladder cancer stage is whether or not there is metastasis. And when we say metastasis, we mean spread beyond the, the, the bladder. Um, treatment strategies vary significantly for patients with metastasis compared to those that do not have metastasis. And then in... In, in those that do not have metastasis, um, there is more further staging based on the extent of the tumor in the bladder. Nowadays, we use a standard uh, TNM staging system, which stands for Tumor Nodes in Metastasis, or TNM. 
And what is an important um, difference for the T stage is whether or not there is muscle involvement of the bladder. Um, we term those tumors that do not have muscle involvement as superficial or non-muscle invasive, invasive, and those that have muscle invasion are at least a stage two. One important thing is that there is actually two different types of staging that can be done. One is clinical and one is pathological. What do I mean by that? Well, clinical staging is based on uh, clinical tools like our physical exam, imaging, endoscopy, uh, whereas pathologic staging is based on an assessment by a pathologist using a microscope. So that's an important distinction, and sometimes they match. The clinical stage will equal the pathologic stage, and sometimes they don't. So it's important to find out what your clinical and pathologic stage are. Now, um, one of the topics is what is the effect of COVID and how has the pandemic um, kind of altered the the, um, uh, the the context for, for, for cancer and bladder cancer specifically? So I think that one of the important points that we should be aware of is that there is some data that patients um, with COVID infection uh, may may have a higher um, risk of, of, of let's say, um, having um, worse outcome because COVID can affect multiple different organs. So there's a possibility that, that it can affect the outcome for the patient if they have concurrent diagnosis of cancer. There's also some suggestion that um, there's an increased risk of adverse events or complications in patients that are COVID positive. These are really difficult to tease out because a lot of factors play in. But one thing is clear that we can all agree upon is that there are have been restrictive health policies and access to care has been affected. So we know that there has been a decrease in access for patients, especially during the, the peak of the COVID uh, pandemic. And there was a delay in diagnosis. So the number of new cancer diagnoses went down um, for a period of time. And the effect that that will have on the cancer diagnosis and outcomes will, will be played out over time, and we're still learning how that will affect uh, patients. One question I get asked frequently is, well, you know, given the pandemic, can we delay uh, our cystoscopy? Can we delay our follow-up? In some patients, you can, um, particularly those with low-risk bladder cancer, low-grade tumors, delaying the cystoscopy by another three months in order to get your second vaccine is perfectly reasonable. In other patients with high-risk bladder cancer, it would not be advisable. And so that would be a question that you might ask the the physician um, taking care of you. So moving on to the next topic is um, update on clinical trials. And um, it is an exciting time for the treatment of bladder cancer. In, In my career, my short career, I've seen dramatic changes in what we can offer patients um, for bladder cancer. And it's been so fun to be a part of that because we we have seen um, some dramatic responses. So there have been multiple um, new agents approved uh, by the FDA over the last decade. And uh, I think um, one of our other speakers will get into some more details. But um, it's one of the most um, 
let's say, talked about is immune therapy. And this is utilizing drugs to harness your own body's immune system to attack cancer. But there's also uh, new uh, agents being tested in chemotherapy. There's a new um, what's called conjugate antibody therapy that is also exciting. There's a whole host of different kind of combinations of approaches. Um, So I would encourage um, each of you uh, and your loved ones to consider, um, you know, what trials might be available, um, you know, that you might be eligible for to participate in, um, you know, based on your your stage or your your loved one's stage. Um, How is the you know, genomics and precision medicine, how is that changing the landscape of bladder cancer and where are we at with with those things? Well, w- there is certainly progress being made and there are right now um, many, most or let's say many patients undergo genomic testing um, of the tumor that's, that's removed to determine if there are certain uh, targetable, um, you know, uh, characteristics of the tumor that would help us to determine which type of treatment might be better suited for that patient. It's not to say that it's, um, I mean, it's very crude, I think, and it's in, it, in its infancy in terms of what, what, is, what we're capable of, of doing, but we are already use, utilizing this in the clinic uh, um, right now. Um, and there are certain genetic syndromes that um, that some patients um, may have, I mean, gen, you know, bladder cancer and uh, upper tract urothelial cell carcinoma are most often not genetically transmitted. They're not hereditary, but there are some patients that do have a kind of a rare genetic mutation. And in that situation, you can get tested for that. And it's important to know if you have that because of a counseling for your, your uh, offspring. So we are making, um, progress in precision medicine for bladder cancer, and um, it is currently being used in clinic in some situations. So uh, I I will um, be happy to answer any questions along these lines, um, and I think I will uh, turn it over to Dr. Zhao at this point. Thank you very much, Dr. Static. That was a wonderful introduction to the call and a wonderful overview, very comprehensive. So thank you very much, and um, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Um, Song Zhao, and Dr. Zhao is Medical Oncology, Swedish Cancer Institute, um, and Dr. Zhao will be addressing targeted treatments, um, predicting response to treatment, the emerging role of immunotherapy, communicating with the healthcare team about quality of life concerns, the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including follow-up appointments. Hello, everybody. It's my pleasure to um, this program over to South. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you, Carolyn. Um, good day, everybody. Uh, first, I would like to thank organizer of the Cancer Care Teleconference for this opportunity. Um, and I think this is my third year uh, giving an update on treatment of bladder cancer from a perspective of medical oncologist. Uh, Dr. Swart has given us a very nice overview already of bladder cancer treatment as well as uh, uh, the recent development uh, in some, um, uh, in some for, uh, 
patients with more advanced stage uh, bladder cancer. Uh, I Today I would like to focus on um, just giving you an overview of newer treatment options um, of the bladder cancer for bladder cancer at a more advanced stage. Uh, by advanced stage, I'm referring to the bladder cancer that has spread beyond the bladder, uh, beyond the bladder to lymph nodes, to other visceral organs, and to bones. Historically, however, we we, we need to acknowledge that advanced bladder cancer has always been treated with chemotherapy. Uh, over the last few years, uh, we have seen some very exciting development of newer treatment regimen, including what we have mentioned, immunotherapy, specifically a few uh, what we call the immune checkpoint inhibitors. And then we have um, a, another class of um, medicine uh, called uh, antibody uh, drug conjugate uh, that has been uh, FDA approved uh, for uh, for the first time uh, in bladder cancer. And also uh, target therapy, uh, specifically some inhibitors targeting specific mutations in bladder cancer cells. Uh, before I expand more on those newer treatment options, I would like to point out, um, despite of those uh, development, exciting development, uh, the chemotherapy, however, remains to be the preferred first-line treatment for patients who are considered fit and have adequate preserved organ functions, including kidney functions and heart functions. You may ask why we still rely on such an old-fashioned chemotherapy nowadays, given all the, develop, all the development advancement we have made in cancer biology and genetic change in bladder cancer. Well, the answer is quite simple. Uh, compared to other treatment options available to us at present, chemotherapy, specifically the cisplatin or carboplatin-based chemotherapy, is still more effective and have a higher response rate. In other words, uh, a higher percentage of patients would respond to chemotherapy compared to other type of treatment. Rarely, uh, patients with metastases, advanced stage in lymph nodes or even in the lungs, can be cured by chemotherapy. And a higher response rate of chemotherapy can be explained by the presence of DNA repair mutation. Uh, DNA repair genes mutation in bladder cancer. There's a study from uh, Memorial Ca uh, Sloan Kettering Cancer Center found that there's significant percentage of bladder cancer patients have mutations in what we call the DNA repair genes, such as BRCA1, BRCA2. There has been abundant evidence showing that the chemotherapy, specifically cisplatin or carboplatin, can cause DNA damage in the cancer cells. Therefore, those bladder cancer cells with DNA repair gene mutations are not capable of repairing those damage. Therefore, they are more susceptible to chemotherapy such as cisplatin and, um, and carboplatin. Therefore, in this sense, uh, we would say cisplatin or carboplatin, those kind of chemotherapy could be considered as a target therapy by targeting uh, those cancer cells with DNA, DNA repair defect. Now, the chemotherapy is still associated with very significant side effects. And it is important to determine first if the patient is fit enough to tolerate chemotherapy. There are significant percentage of patients with advanced bladder cancer are not considered a good candidate for chemotherapy because poor functional status or 
uh, coexisting medical condition. For those patients, immunotherapy will be much more appropriate. There are several choices of immunotherapy approved by FDA for treatment of advanced bladder cancer. They work through directly activating patient immune system to attack cancer cells. Among those patients who do respond to immunotherapy, we sometimes see a very durable response. And, and I have patients who have been off immunotherapy a couple more years, uh, more than a couple years, uh, after they have a very, very good response to treatment, and so far they have not had any recurrent cancer. Now, immunotherapy is also preferred the second-line treatment option if the cancer progressed on first-line chemotherapy. In this setting, we sometimes can rely on a higher level of marker uh, called a PD-L1 expression uh, to predict the higher probability of response to immunotherapy. Uh, in this sense, actually, PD-L1 as a predictive marker can be used uh, to um, to help us to help provider to decide if the immunotherapy uh, will have a better chance of success as a second line treatment. Now, if the cancer has progressed on both chemotherapy and immunotherapy, treatment options would include some newer drug that as that I have mentioned earlier. One of them is called infotimab vedotin. Well, it's a mouthful, but uh, I will just you know use abbreviation EV uh, in, uh, from here on. And the other medicine is called erdafitinib. Uh, often at this time, at this point, uh, when patients have progressed on chemotherapy and immunotherapy, I would order genetic mutation test prior to making a decision. If a genetic testing reveal a presence of mutation in a gene called FGFR, uh, it stands for fibroblastic growth factor receptor. Um, if there's such a mutation uh, exists, I would recommend erdafitinib. That is the inhibitor targeting this mutation specifically. If no FGFR mutation was found, I would recommend EV, the infosmab with dotin. Uh, the EV is what we call antibody drug conjugate. It is composed of antibody targeting a cell molecule called nectin-4. And this antibody is linked to a chemotherapy drug. Therefore, um, can direct the drug to the cancer cells that have this particular tumor marker on the surface. This molecule, nectin-4, is found in, on the surface of nearly all uh, bladder cancer cells. Therefore, uh, infotimab by dotin can be considered as a target therapy specific for bladder cancer. Another newer antibody drug conjugate is called sesotuzumab, govatecan. It is targeting another molecule called TROP2 that is also highly expressed in most bladder cancer cells. This medicine is currently still under investigation in clinical trial and, but has shown a very promising efficacy in bladder cancer that has progressed on both chemotherapy and immunotherapy. So now I'm going to talk a little bit more about the expanding role of immunotherapy 
uh, in treatment of bladder cancer. I have already mentioned immunotherapy as a established now a standard of care for patients with advanced bladder cancer who are not a candidate for chemotherapy or have progressed on chemotherapy. Over the past few years, we have expanded this uh, use of immunotherapy further. For example, pembrolizumab, uh, so-called, uh, another name for that is Kachuda, has been approved for treatment of patients who is, uh, with localized non-muscle-invasive bladder cancer that are no longer responding to intravascular BCG. Another immunocheckpoint inhibitor, um, Navodimab, has shown a very promising efficacy in lowering the risk of cancer recurrence after radical cystectomy for muscle-invasive bladder cancer. I should also mention that immunotherapy, uh, another immunocheckpoint inhibitor called Avadimab, has been approved as maintenance therapy after uh, chemotherapy uh, in a setting of stage four uh, bladder cancer and has shown uh, to prolong overall survival uh, compared to chemotherapy alone. So those are very, very important, exciting uh, new roles for immunotherapy. So the last few minutes, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about communication between patients and providers on quality of life issues. It is important to acknowledge that combating bladder cancer is a very serious challenging for the patient, not only physically, but also mentally. As we know, the chemotherapy can cause a number of side effects, including fatigue, poor appetite, nausea, and neuropathy, and sometimes infections. It is important to let your doctor and provider know how those side effects affect you. Sometimes I would consider reducing the dose of chemotherapy or holding chemotherapy to give my patient more time to recover. This is important because um, you know, when we're treating a uh, patient with chemotherapy uh, to prolong their life and for palliation, um, we really you know, need to consider uh, to uh, maintain the quality of life uh, at the same time. If any side effect, for example, neuropathy becomes so significant, uh, that is, uh, hinders a patient's ability of performing uh, activities every day, I would recommend discontinuation of those treatments or change of treatment to different regimen. IV flu hydration can be especially benefit, uh, beneficial for patients with poor oral intake, and the dietitian or nutrition consultation can provide a very useful guidance for those patients as well. Although the immunotherapy is generally considered better tolerated than chemotherapy, they still can cause quite a number of side effects, such as fatigue, skin rash, diarrhea, uh, muscle and joint pain. And there's, uh, of course, other very rare but serious side effects uh, related to immunotherapy as well, so I don't have time, but I, I, at this time I don't have time to elaborate. But it's important to keep your, uh, your provider informed so that action can be taken properly before those side effects become more serious. Although we do not reduce dose of immunotherapy as we often do with chemotherapy, I would often hold treatment for a couple more weeks and reassess. Sometimes I would need to start steroids to suppress a very active immune response so that this patient have, um, can have time to, um, to recover. And for the patient who have had uh, very excellent and uh, D 
durable response to immunotherapy, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I often consider a more extended interval between treatment cycles by a few more weeks. And those, all those adjustments will help the patient to uh, get a better quality of life. Lastly, uh, I will spend some time talk about increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine uh, because of COVID. And the, the coronavirus pandemic has had a very, very profound effect, uh, impact on cancer care. And we still try to understand how to best uh, deal with those issues. It has been estimated over about one-third uh, Americans may have missed the recommended cancer screening during the pandemic. Inevitably, the pandemic has also resulted in fear and delay in seeking medical care. Uh, so by implementation of telemedicine, um, this has turned out to be uh, one of the silver linings during this difficult time for us. For patients who have complete treatment or on surveillance, uh, telemedicine with virtual visit video visit has several advantages over in-person visits. First of all, it is more convenient for the patient, especially for elderly patients who have difficulty with mobility and transportation, especially because uh, the effect of pandemic on the public transportation. But secondly, um, during the lockdown and the peak of pandemic, telemedicine has helped us to keep the number of patients in waiting room um, lower and also to uh, to, to uh, also reduce the num uh, number of patients uh, needed to come to clinic in person uh, are more manageable. Therefore, we can uh, lower the risk of COVID transmission. Also, it is allow it can allow uh, providers to in interact with patients through video, and I often show my patients. Uh, 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 the lab result and imaging result by sharing my screen through video, which is just as informative, as effective as inpatient visit. So, um, so there's also evidence that supporting that both patients and providers are satisfied with a use of telehealth uh, video visit for cancer care. So for all this reason, I think tele telemedicine uh, our hope telemedicine would remain available uh, to us in the future. Uh, on the other hand, telemedicine may not be the best way to deliver care for patients who are undergoing treatment and uh, re who require a physical examination or other inpatient care. Uh, the other thing we should mention is access to telemedicine can be limited by age, language barrier, uh, income, and sometimes computer literacy. Uh, many low-income patients do not have access to computer, smartphone, or internet. In fact, analysis has found use of telemedicine is directly correlated to a higher level of household income. Therefore, I hope measure will be taken in the future so that telemedicine will become more accessible to those patients. I think I um, have covered everything I uh, was um, instructed to, so I'll stop here. Uh, thank you very much for your attention. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Zhao. That was really an excellent presentation, very informative, and um, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. 
And our next presenter is uh, Ms. Diana Bairden, and Ms. Bairden is a, an oncology dietitian at the Michael E. DeBege VA Medical Center, and she'll be discussing the role of the oncology dietitian and nutrition and hydration concerns and tips. It's my pleasure now to join us for my esteemed colleague, Ms. Bairden. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm excited to be part of today's presentation. So nutrition and hydration, um, essential in tolerance, to your treatment and providing you the energy to do the things that you enjoy. Your diet can be and might be modified during and even after your cancer treatment, just depending on the side effects that you experience. Some of the potential side effects, we've heard about a few already today um, that you may experience, um, but everybody's an individual, so um, not all of these are applicable to everybody. But some that you might experience are mouth sores, diarrhea, constipation, changes in your taste and smell, um, maybe issues with nausea or vomiting, a decrease in appetite, and fatigue. During your course of treatment, your nutritional needs can be and may be modified. Just depends on your course of treatment. Patients who receive um, surgery, maybe radiation, chemotherapy, it all um, is all very individualized in how you tolerate that treatment, and so it's so very important that you communicate with your healthcare team about what you're going through. Um, we do have general um, understanding of some of the medication and treatment side effects, but everyone's a little different. So um, some patients may not experience as um, an extreme impact, and others might. So. Um, knowing your healthcare team is so very important, and a dietitian is part of that healthcare team. There are several members of your healthcare team. Um, the dietitian specifically can provide you information on modifications with your diet based on the side effects that you're going through, what you're experiencing. Um, they can help you with um, determining if a texture modification is necessary, if maybe you need more calories, more protein, more fluid. And um, that's all very individualized. So um, please do reach out to your healthcare team for, for direction on what's best for you in your treatment. Oftentimes I get patients who um, are maybe come in and they feel like weight loss really isn't an issue for them, um, that they, are, they may consider themselves overweight, and that they have weight to lose. One thing I always want patients to know is that weight loss is very different in a patient going through treatment. And it does happen, and what we try to do is address that as quickly as possible. One of the reasons why is because when you're losing weight while you're going through treatment, oftentimes it's the muscle mass that you lose. It's not fat mass. And the, the concern with that is that our muscle gives us so many wonderful benefits, and it's very hard to build back once you've lost it. So that's why it's so very important that you are in communication with your healthcare team. So um, our muscles help us breathe. They help us eat. They help us get up out of chairs. Um, many of the things that bring quality of life to each and every one of us, muscles are part of. And so we want to keep those intact as much as we can. Um, also, it gives us the endurance and the energy to do the things that we really enjoy doing. So um, please do connect with your team if you are experiencing weight loss. There are medications to assist with side effects, and we heard about some of the side effects that um, they can happen. Um, 
And some of these medications are given and patients are overwhelmed at the time when they're they're um, taking all of this information in and don't always know exactly when and the best time to take certain medications to help with side effects, such as nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation. And so if you're experiencing these symptoms and need some clarification on your, how to take your medication um, to address these side effects, please ask your healthcare team. Um, we can write them down for you, make it very clear and specific on when and, um, you need to take these medications. And especially patients going through therapy, um, chemotherapy, immunotherapy, whatever type of therapy you're undergoing, um, we have a good idea of when some of these medications need to be taken to help you um, reduce some of those side effects. So there is a science to it. We do um, not just give out that medication and expect you to know exactly what to do and when to take it. So please do talk with your healthcare team. Hydration is something that is oftentimes overlooked, and dehydration can be very serious. Um, it can actually amplify some of the side effects that you may be experiencing, such as nausea, fatigue, can make you feel dizzy and lightheaded, maybe unsteady on your feet. And fluid um, is oftentimes reduced when intake is reduced. Or if you're having a side effect such as nausea or vomiting, um, you can lose additional fluid that way and if you're having diarrhea. So it's important to know your fluid goals. And um, fluids are anything that is liquid at room temperature, things like water, milk, sports drinks. And a general guideline is most people need between 8 and 10 8-ounce glasses of fluid a day. So it's about 64 to 80 ounces. There are times when you might need more if you're losing more. And um, so that's why it's so important that, um, that you know what your health care needs are. In closing, there are several members of the healthcare team just dedicated to you and making sure that you have what you need um, as you're undergoing this treatment. Please reach out to them. The sooner, the better. Thanks so much for allowing me to be part of today's workshop. I'll now pass the line back over to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Bearden. That was wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks. And um, our next speaker is uh, Dr. Stephanie Chisholm, and Dr. Chisholm is Director of Education and Research, Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, BCAN, and um, they're the partner group with today's program, and uh, Dr. Chisholm will be discussing the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network's free programs and services, and uh, give us uh, contact information to reach them as well. So it's my pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, uh, Dr. Chisholm. Thank you so much, Carolyn. It's a pleasure to be here and to partner on this program. I think that you know any diagnosis of bladder cancer can be incredibly scary, and I did want to just sort of remind everyone that our website, bcan.org, is your 24-hour, seven-day-a-week resource. So when you wake up with a 2 a.m. oh-my-God moment, you can usually find an answer there. And we have a number of different resources, everything to highlight and give you information about the various treatment options across the spectrum of disease, to finding a clinical trial for your particular diagnosis, even within your geographic area, say you live in one state, but maybe your sister or brother lives in another state and you could stay with them, you can put in all those states and actually search for open clinical trials that are available to you based on your diagnosis. We have a huge number of nutrition videos to kind of follow up 
the discussion that we've just had that really identify things like dysgeusia, you know, weird tastes and other problems that you might have as a result of your treatment. We have information in our podcast. We have a new Bladder Cancer Matters podcast that's available free of charge. You can download it to your phone. And we cover everything from COVID-19 through BCG, through all sorts of other things, and um, we do two or three of them every month, so feel free to subscribe. And if you're really interested in speaking to somebody who knows what you're going through, please contact us. Look for our Survivor to Survivor program. It's listed on our website, and we can pair you with one of our trained volunteers who will help kind of give you some insight to what it was like going through a treatment that might be on your horizon. And I would like to very much invite all of you to join us for our 2021 Bladder Cancer Summit, which will be held next October 9th. And you can learn more by visiting bcan.org forward slash 2021 dash bladder dash cancer dash summit dash four dash patients dash and dash families. It's a long way of saying just go to our website and type in summit in the search feature. But I hope that you all will consider visiting our website and get some of those additional resources. There are many, many, many things to choose from. Thank you, Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Stephanie. That was excellent, a wonderful presentation. And I just want to let everyone know that any resource we've given, like many of the resources that Dr. Chisholm gave you, those will be, um, when you get, um, at the end of the program, we're going to survey Monkey, and there will be, it is an evaluation. We always love that you fill that out. But we're also going to include all of the resources that were mentioned during the program, and then some also that we think would be useful to you as well. So this is a, a really go-to organization. Sounds like it's incredibly useful for all of you, specifically because it focuses on blood cancer. So thanks. Thanks. Um, and um, our, um, I'm, I'm Carolyn Mester, and I'm going to just say a few words about Cancer Care. Um, uh, cancer Care is a national organization providing free uh, support programs and services to people living with, uh, with cancer. And um, that, uh, you know, that, um, you know, those programs uh, are quite uh, variable. We do have many people call us on our Hope Line at 1-800-813-4673 or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. So what are the services you can expect? If you call us on the phone or visit our website, you will um, have access to one of our oncology social workers. We have about 35 oncology social workers on staff, and they will they offer support. Um, we also do offer uh, practical and financial assistance as well as co-payment assistance. And we do have special funds also for a COVID um, uh, as well because there are so many different issues financially that people are struggling with right now. Um, in addition, we offer online support groups. Um, we do offer a number of uh, publications and a number of these web these these programs that you are on today, these workshops that are available live, but they're also available as a webcast as a as a podcast, and we do about seventy five of these per year. So it gives you a quick quick snapshot of the programs that we offer. Now, before we go into the q and a, I'm just going to ask you just a few questions um, at the end of the program just to see. 
um, what your experience has been on the program today, um, and then we'll go right into the Q&A. So um, the first question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater knowledge of the important role of staging and grading of bladder cancer in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident about my knowledge of the current standard of care, targeted treatments, and the emerging role of immunotherapy for bladder cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then, uh, the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident in my knowledge of the importance of diagnostic technologies, genomics, precision medicine, and predicting response to treatment in informing bladder cancer treatment. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now there's just two more questions. So this is an one of those two. Uh, first one is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to work with my healthcare team to utilize their tips and suggestions to manage the side effects, symptoms, pain, and, and quality of life concerns in the treatment of bladder cancer in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. As a result of this workshop, I have greater confidence in participating in clinical trials for bladder cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for participating in these in these questions. It helps us to plan the future programs to be sure that we're um, helping you in the way that you need to be getting information. So that's really important, and we thank you for your participation. And now we're going to go into Q and A. I'm going to ask um, to, I'm going to ask Michelle to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to she'll explain to you how to queue up for questions. And um, uh, Michelle. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Okay, and we have a question in front of our online participants, and this one is for Satisfatic. Um, is, is radiation therapy used for initial treatment of muscle-invasive bladder cancer before cystectomy? Uh, yeah. Hi, this is Rob Spatek. Uh, it's a great question. Um, radiation therapy can be used for muscle-invasive bladder cancer, not necessarily before cystectomy. It's kind of like either or. Either you're going to get a cystectomy or radiation. Um, we don't generally do it, you know, in anticipation of surgery. So it's kind of like, um, you know, one or the other. And there are pros and cons to surgery or radiation. 
but short answer is yes, it is used. And it's, it's used in conjunction with chemotherapy because chemotherapy can help um, sensitize or make the radiation work even better. And another question for you, Dr. Sadek. What is appropriate to ask for a second opinion regarding bladder cancer treatment? When is it appropriate um, to ask for a second opinion regarding bladder cancer treatment? You know, I, I, that's a great <laughs> that's a great question. I mean, you know, in the the uh, the world we live in today, where you can do uh, virtual um, video visits, second opinions have become more common. Um, I had a, um, I did a video visit with someone from, you know, five, lived 500 miles away yesterday. Um, and so I, I think if you are feeling uncertain, if you're not sure, if you are, are lacking confidence, um, that would be a, an example of where a second opinion could help kind of make you feel confident that you're on the right track. Um, it's difficult to know, you know, like to advise you on when that's needed. Um, I I generally say that um, high volume, we we kind of think of uh, high volume people that are specialized in, um, uh, you know, oncology are, are, would be, might be something that you might want to consider. So there's urologic training, which, and then there's people that do a fellowship in urologic oncology. Um, And so, I would, you know, consider, um, you know, seeing someone that's been fellowship trained in urologic oncology uh, when you're diagnosed with, with bladder cancer. Excellent. Um, and a question uh, for Dr. Sao. Um, so how do I keep my symptoms, treatments, and questions organized for follow-up care? Um. Well, um, I think that's a that's a very good question uh, from a patient perspective because I think oftentimes that when patients come to see us, they 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 either uh, have you know forget what what they you know had in their mind or uh, they have other things uh, that actually you know sort of uh, uh, keep them uh, preoccupied. So I think it's important to for you to uh, keep a um, some sort of a, a record yourself and. Uh, uh, a, a diary, if you uh, if you uh, are well, to you know document in, you know your questions. If you think they're important enough to ask your quest, uh, doctor uh, on on the uh, next upcoming visit, and of course some serious issues, uh, you wouldn't wait until you uh, a few days to, to tell your doctor. For example, if, if you have a, a uncontrolled diarrhea or a, a severe skin rash or trouble breathing, you would call them right away. Um, so and sometimes. If it's you know, impossible to reach somebody uh, soon enough, uh, you may have to go to the hospital right away. So, uh, ER. What I mean. Um, so, so that's my uh, my advice. Excellent. And a kind of related question as well um, mm-hmm. for you: um, What symptoms should I be on the lookout for and report to my care team? Well, I think the doctor, uh, the providers, before they start a new treatment for uh, for each patient, uh, it's our job and the responsibility to explain to them what to expect. Uh, there are a very a, a number of 
side effect is related to different treatment and in chemo that we often watch out for fatigue, uh, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, and uh, numbness, tingling, numbness and tingling in the fingertips and the feet, and uh, and a fever, of course, uh, is that sometimes could uh, indicate a serious infection. For immunotherapy, it's quite different. Um, and it, in the immunotherapy, side effect will be more uh, related to a very uh, robust immune response. That could affect your skin. That could affect your bowels. It, it, it turned out to be, uh, it will be uh, manifested as diarrhea. And also, uh, sometimes it can affect any vital organs, such as lung, liver, and kidney. So, but those are rare. But if you are not sure, uh, always call your doctor's office and you know tell them what 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 you have to experience. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, mm-hmm. And um, we're just about the close of the program, so I just wanted to ask our. Um, about Dr. Sadik, um, Dr. Zhao, and uh, Ms. Bearden, just to give a quick takeaway um, for our participants to take away from the call today. So I'm going to start with Dr. Sadik. Uh, uh, yeah, I think the takeaways would be um, the pandemic has affected us all. Um, the rates of anxiety, depression, um, uh, have uh, you know, expanded, and we're all struggling in some different way. And I just want you all to, to know that there is hope that we have um, uh, great new drugs being developed every day. And um, I, I think this is a really great time for uh, eradicating and, and doing our best to treat this disease. So I'm hopeful for my patients, and I want you all to be hopeful as well. Thank you. Excellent. And uh, excellent. And uh, Dr. Zahn, um, your yeah. takeaway that you'd like people to have? Well, I, I very much echo uh, Dr. Swavek's uh, uh, comment on hope. And, uh, you know, we have a, a, a lot of to look forward to in the coming years with all this new uh, treatment option becoming available. Uh, and also, of course, uh, we are uh, doctors and patients that work together uh, in, in a situation like this. And you know, especially given all the stress and and uh, you know challenge that we have to deal with COVID lockdown and uh, in a pandemic uh, affecting everyone. So I think it's important for pa- for patients to not fear uh, coming to the hospital, come to the clinic to to talk to your doctor to see their uh, their, their providers for their concerns uh, because uh, we, you know, just keep in mind uh, while COVID has affected uh, a lot of us in many different ways, uh, the cancer is also a very, very uh, serious uh, challenge for uh, for a lot of our patients uh, and who have who need to get a treatment and uh, a care uh, in a timely fashion. So don't let that uh, prevent you from uh, getting uh, necessary medical care. And Ms. Um, I think most importantly is to have contact, regular contact with your healthcare team. Know who's on your healthcare team. Know how to contact them um, and understand what their role is so that 
um, you can reach out to them um, in a timely manner. Oftentimes, I have patients reach out to me in between visits, and that's, that's okay. Things happen in between visits. So always being in communication with your healthcare team is so very important. And um, if you forget to ask a question, it's okay to call and request a call back to answer a question. So just constantly be um, letting your healthcare team know what you're experiencing so we can best help you as quickly as possible. Thank you. You know, I want to thank all of our speakers. This has been a phenomenal call. I want to thank them all very much. And I do want to remind all of you that um, there are just uh, wonderful resources for you to contact you. Of course, you want to start with your healthcare team. Um, they obviously know the most about you. But for those of you who wish to seek other resources, um, uh, and it's very important um, that you realize that there are those other resources out there. And uh, the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network is a great organization for you to, to check out if you haven't already. Um, it's a great it's a great place for you to kind of as a resource. And also, for those of you who wish to get general services from Cancer Care, um, the service I mentioned, please take advantage of those services. Perhaps most importantly, as we conclude the program today, we really would prefer that none of you feel alone. Although it is normal to feel alone, and particularly to feel alone during this time, during COVID, nevertheless, um, we want you to know that there are quite a few places out there for you, um, your healthcare team, and always find out their availability weekends and, of course, um, um, in the evening when it seems like things always crop up after business hours. So do check with them in terms of how you can access their office and staff if, if things do crop up for you. Um, and um, and then also to utilize these other support organizations. And you can be sure that if, if either be the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network or Cancer Care do not have what you need, we will all refer you to places that do have the services that you need. So please rest assured of that. There's so many organizations out there, some of whom have 24-hour call centers um, that you can contact. Um, so just to be aware that there are a lot of resources out there and they're free. Um, and um, again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day. <laughs>